I don't know about you, but I think that might have been one of my favorite moments of worship I've experienced in my life. Now, I thought things were really, really cranking along well whenever Beautiful Name came. And then all of a sudden, that thing merged into Break Every Chain, and I about lost a liver on that one. And then it went to Chains Fall, and I was like, oh my goodness, it's too much. And then we came in to take me to the king. Oh my goodness, entire, entire set. I'm just going to warn you all, if that happens again and I take off running, it is not because I'm trying to get away. It's like I got a victory lap that I need to get in. So that was strong, strong. So this morning is week number four in our Engage series, and we're studying how a personal relationship with God leads us to engage the mission of God. In a statement that I have given multiple times, specifically in our last series that was entitled Relationship, is everything God desires to do in and through your life, he will accomplish out of the overflow of your relationship with him. Everything. And living on mission is just one part of overflow living. We are called to be disciples who make disciples. Know Christ, make him known. Know Christ, make him known. So when believers are personally pursuing Jesus, how do we bring all of that excitement? And you all were just involved in some of that excitement. How do you bring that excitement, that passion, that enthusiasm together? How do we harness the resources and the gifts and the time of God's people so that as a church, an entire church, we can effectively make Christ known among the nations? That's what this series has been focused on. Those are questions about clarity and also about alignment. To get a group of this size moving in the same direction with the same passion, the same focus, the same desire, it has to be one of alignment and clarity. We have to know exactly what we're doing and we have to be aligned with that particular mission. So far in this series, we've talked about engaging the mission, the message, as well as the kingdom. That is, the mission is to make disciples who know Christ and make him known. That's what we are working towards. It answers the question, what are we doing? Also, we talked about the message, that is, the gospel of grace. We never outgrow the gospel, we grow into the gospel. It answers the question, what are we sharing? The kingdom is God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. It's not about our church, it's about his kingdom. It answers the question, where do we focus our efforts? And today, we're studying how the Bible is our authority in all matters of faith and practice. We're digging into this idea that God's word is truth. And because his word is truth, we are to submit everything we encounter to the authority of scripture. And then we are to stand on that truth. And in doing so, we're answering this question, where do we ultimately submit? Now, just put together those four pieces right there. What are we doing? Making disciples. What are we sharing? The gospel of grace. Where do we focus? The kingdom of God. And where do we submit? The word of God. Now, here's a concept that I want to pull out and develop over the course of this morning's message. Everyone submits to someone. 
everyone submits to someone. In our culture, the word submit has become a dirty word. Everyone submits to someone. Our authority is whomever or whatever we submit to. I'm going to make an argument this morning for the fact that there is safety in submission to the Word of God. At the end of the day, believers need to be able to look and say, our actions, our beliefs, our decisions, all of those things are flowing out of a right understanding of God's Word. I want you to see this morning why that is so important. So I've got one primary text. I'm going to invite you to go with me to that text right now. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. It'll be in verses 16 and 17. And as you're finding your place in that text, I'm also going to read two other verses. The references are in the top of your notes. One is going to be John 17, 17. The other one is going to be Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. I'm speaking today on the subject, engage the Bible. Engage the Bible. Here's what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning, that your spirit would move mightily in our hearts today. God, apart from you turning the lights on in our mind, we come in and we hear words, we hear a sermon, but it's not a message. It doesn't change the heart. So God, we're praying today that by your spirit, you would change hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone submits to someone. That is, our authority is whatever or whomever we submit to. Now, I've shared parts of this message at other points in the past, but I'm trying to build a case on the side of everybody submits to someone, and there's kind of a handful of places that most people submit to. And that is some people submit to the ideas and the research of academia. And they go with the idea, the smartest people are always right. And sometimes that's the case, uh, sometimes not so much. Intelligence is not a guarantee that somebody is going to be correct. In fact, you'll notice that research changes constantly. What is considered to be fact in January is often considered to be false by March. Things change, they change fast. In fact, here's another concern in that, and that's not just for those in academics, it's for all of us, and that is no one is absolutely objective in how they view the world. We like to think we're objective, but we're really not. What I mean by that is we see the world through our own personal bias. We filter everything through our conditioning, through our background, through our gifting, through our generation, through our education, through our agenda, through our economic standing, through our ethnicity, even through our sense of self-preservation. We see the world through a conditioned lens. So here's another one. Some people submit to the popular opinion of society. They operate from the position that the majority has to be right. History would tell us otherwise. The majority of those in Nazi Germany believed that exterminating the Jews was right. For thousands of years, the majority of the world's population practiced slavery. 
The majority is not always right. So here's another one. Some people to submit to themselves. They say, well, what do I think or how do I feel about this? They operate from the idea that the heart is going to be right. They've watched a lot of Hallmark movies. <laughs> now, I say that because it seems like every second or third one, is like, just follow your heart. That could be the most dangerous advice you ever give. Because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. In fact, you go back in the book of Judges and you find out what happens when everybody follows their own heart. It leads to chaos. We understand the book of Proverbs says there is a way that seems right to a man and it ends in death. It, did you know in that moment it feels right? It seems right? Do you know how it's death or life? The Word of God will tell you. Leaning into yourself can be one of the most dangerous things you could ever do. Everyone submits to someone. I'm making the argument this morning that there is safety in submission to the Word of God. Now, here's what I am not saying. Here's what I am not saying. Here is what I am not saying. <laughs> do you all know what I'm not saying yet? At least you're prepared for it. Here's what I am not saying. I am not saying that the Bible cannot be twisted and used in order to justify horrific actions. What I am saying is when the Bible is studied and applied and believed contextually accurate, there is safety and submission to the Word of God. Christians are called to submit to Scripture because Scripture is God's Word and God is our ultimate authority. So when you submit to the Word, you are submitting to God because it is in the Word that God is revealing Himself to us. So here is your key truth, and that is God's Word is truth. Submit everything to the authority of Scripture. Stand on truth. God's Word is truth. Submit everything to the authority of Scripture. Stand on truth. Now, why is that both a reasonable and a wise proposition? Well, let me give you a quick synopsis of why we can trust the Word of God. The Bible is the best-selling, most printed book of all time. It's composed of 66 individual books written by close to 40 human writers over 1,600-year span of time on three continents in three different languages. The writers include those who were kings, prophets, shepherds, fishermen, soldiers, philosophers, priests, poets, scholars, a tax collector, as well as a doctor. Multiple genres are used, hundreds of topics are addressed, thousands of teachings are given, and yet listen to this. And yet there is one consistent message that starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. Now, how can it be that there is one consistent message with that much diversity over that much time with that many people involved? Because the Bible claims to have one author, God. It is the fact that God wrote through almost 40 people using their personalities and their experiences to reveal himself as well as his desires. The biblical writers said almost 4,000 times, we're not writing our words, this is the word of the Lord. They, they would say things like this, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, and then they would write it out. Or thus saith the Lord, and they would write it out over and over. They kept saying, it's not me, it's him. Now, why would a rational, 
thinking, reasonable person living in 2021 actually believe that the Bible is God's word? Well, part is what you just heard. That is, how could there be that much diversity over that much time with that many people involved and there's still just one consistent message? That defies the idea of chance. Another part of the answer is what's referred to as fulfilled prophecy. Almost 25% of the Bible, when it was written, was prophetic in nature. There's almost 2,500 prophecies that are given in Scripture. And of those, almost 2,000 have now been fulfilled exactly as they were declared. So the, the statistically speaking, the probability of 2,000 independent prophecies being fulfilled as they were declared is less than 1 in 10 to the 2,000th power. That is one with 2,000 zeros after it. We're not talking coincidence. We're not talking chance. We're talking miraculous. We're talking God's word. That, that's why we have confidence. That's why when I get up and I preach on a Sunday, I, I have confidence not in my ability to deliver it all the time, but even when I mess up, even when I can't get the words out, God's word is strong. So here's what you do. You just go back and you start preaching the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Now, that also doesn't include the fact that a couple billion people around the world have claimed to be changed by the God of the Word. It doesn't include the fact that the discoveries of archaeology and science only affirm the assertions that are outlined in the Bible. It doesn't include the fact that much of our understanding of human ethics and morality and, listen, many of the governing documents of nations have been built on the teachings of God's Word. Believing the Bible is God's Word is not a leap of faith. It is a reasonable understanding based on a mountain of evidence that is before us. So now that we have a little bit of the background in place, let's dig into what this says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. Scripture is God's revelation of himself to humanity. The entire Bible, it, it reveals God's will and God's character and God's nature. It also reveals his desire, his love, his plan of redemption. All of that is found in the word. Now, this phrase, all scripture, it actually refers to the Old as well as the New Testament. Now, somebody might say, but it was actually in the New Testament, so how would it include that? Well, that phrase or that, that word right there is graphe for scripture. It was commonly used in the New Testament pointing back to the Old Testament scriptures, and at the same time, it was also used in the first century to refer to God's newly revealed word that came to be known as the New Testament. Now, this phrase, inspired by God, or it, it, all scripture is inspired by him, that, that phrase has been often translated as God breathed. How many times have you heard inspired, God breathed? Many times. Okay, let me give you an extra word. Not that there's an extra word in scripture, but let me give you a more full understanding of this. That phrase is actually God breathed out. God breathed out. In fact, if you happen to be using an English standard version of the Bible, they actually captured that phrase in the ESV. It actually says it like this. All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, why is that important? 
because God didn't breathe his word into a human writer, hope they wrote really, really fast and did it accurately to make sure it's true. Instead, he breathed it out through those writers to ensure the accuracy and the integrity of his word. It's God breathed out. For scripture to be authoritative, it must be inspired by God. Why? Because 40 human writers are still human. They're born into sin just like you and me. They're they're prone to error and sin and deception just like you and me. But almost 4,000 times they kept saying, thus says the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me saying, and they keep writing out what it is that God was breathing out through them. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Uh, Since God is the author, his word is profitable. Uh, That idea of profitable, it it means beneficial, productive, or sufficient. Did you all know I don't have to preach from the Reader's Digest next week in order to give you a new word? I, I I don't need another holy book. I just need to preach the one we got. It's sufficient. It it handles all of the issues that we face in life. It is sufficient for all of the ups and the downs of of faith and practice. I encourage you this next week. It'll, It'll bless you. Read Psalm 119 this next week. That's your homework. Some of you didn't know you were going to church and you're going to get homework, but sometimes I kind of bring it up like a pop quiz. This is your pop homework for this week. Read Psalm 119 this next week. And here's what you'll find. David mentions six characteristics of God's word. He says it's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, and it's true. And for those who believe it and apply it, here's what he said will happen. He said it restores the soul. How many of you could use your soul restored a little bit? It makes wise the simple. Any of you need some wisdom in your life? He goes on to say, it rejoices the heart, it enlightens the eyes, it endures forever, it produces complete righteousness. Scripture is profitable. Next phrase, for teaching. Since Scripture is God's revelation of himself to humanity, it includes what God wants us to know. So the Apostle Paul, he admonishes Timothy, his son in the faith, in chapter 4, verse 2. He said, Timothy, preach the word. Don't preach from it. Don't preach about it. Don't preach your thoughts and throw in a couple of Bible passages along the way. Preach the word. Give it to them line by line, precept by precept. Preach the word. It is important that we understand and we're in the word. I I want this church to be so grounded in the word of God that people are not tossed about by every popular opinion. They're, They're not... They're not shaken when different things start to stir around them, but they're grounded in the Word. I want us, I hear it, I want us to be in the Word, and I want the Word to be in us. It, it goes both ways. When God's Word is alive and active in a person's life, listen, God in His Word can prompt your spouse to correct issues of character that you could never bring up without a fight. Why do I share that? Because if your spouse is having a hard time getting the word, bring them a cup of coffee and say, here, I just want to encourage you along. 
If, if your spouse is having a hard time saying, I don't know where the time is at, give them an opportunity. Say, how can I take something off of your plate so that you have time in the Word? Why? It, it, listen, it's not just for them. It'll bless you. Amen. Bria's right here. She'll testify. <laughs> listen, myself and Bria, it's over the years. Both of us, and, and I think this is what happens when a couple's been together and they're believers. Both of us, inside of a day or two, can know if the other one has not been in the Word. We can. Hey, here's what we find. In our flesh, we're snippy. I mean, it's like all it takes is just a little something right there, and all of a sudden, agitation begins to come up. But here's what God's Word does. It keeps you calm to be able to listen and to process wisely. Be in the Word. Let the Word be in you. Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof. Reproof is rebuking to convict of misbehavior and false doctrine. As you engage the Bible, you know what's going to happen? God will convict you when you're in the Word. And that's a good thing. You, you want that to happen. It is important for our development in Christ there's a story of a missionary who led a man to faith in Christ and afterwards gave him a Bible. The man was excited. It was the first Bible that he had, and he went home. And then the next day, he came back, and he found the missionary, and he handed the Bible back to the missionary. And the guy thought he misunderstood him, and he was like, no, 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 that's a gift. That's for you. And the guy handed it back, and here's all he could say. It kicks. He might not have had the theological words to describe reproof, but he just described reproof. It kicks. When you, when you get into the Word of God, what you'll find is it will begin to point out sin, and it also reproves us, and it confronts bad theology. It is, here it is, acting as our authority in our thoughts and our actions and our beliefs. It is protecting us from us. We need to be in the Word. Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Now, do you all know correction is not one of those words that we necessarily like, but you're going to love this word in Scripture. The term correction refers to restoration of something to its proper original condition. Notice the way it was used in first century life. It was used of setting up an object that had fallen down or helping a person back up after stumbling. That's correction. After Scripture reproves us, it stands us back up. <laughs> Listen, correction is Scripture's positive provision for those who accept its negative reproof. The same word that just dismantled you this morning in your quiet time is the same word that will build you back the right way and establish you in a proper position. All scripture is profitable for correction. Let me pause here. I love the fact that this church loves the word. I love the fact when I look out here and I see young people with a Bible in their lap and notes. Oh, and I see other people, not just young people, but th this, this line is like right in front of me. I love that. You know one of the reasons why it gets me excited? Because knowing your Bible will make you unfit to listen to a lot of preaching. That might not be the most grammatical way of making that statement, but hopefully you get the points. When you know the word and you hear something is not right, 
it's like alarm bells are going off in your spirits. And it, it begins to come up inside. You can't stand it. You, you got to challenge it. You got to say something about it. Uh, knowing the Bible will make you unfit for a lot of preaching. Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Here it is, for training in righteousness. Uh, training has its original meaning in bringing up a child and child rearing. Just as parents need to train their kids to remove bad actions and instill good character, Scripture, the Word of God, trains believers in righteousness. So when the Bible is preached, <laughs> when the Bible is preached, sometimes it feels like you just got beat like a rented mule. I mean, I don't know how many people have been telling me in the last several weeks, they're like, I need to get some steel toe boots. Every time I come to church, you're stomping on my toes. I thought it wasn't that bad, personally. I mean, I, I feel like I've, I've preached some harsher messages in my life, but there's sometimes it's like the Word just grabs you. And then there's other times when the Word is preached, it's like God wrote a love letter to your heart. It's like warm fuzzies. You're, you're, you're filled, you're joyful, you're, you're like, God, thank you. Did you know you need both? All beatings and it'll break your spirit. All warm fuzzies and it'll stunt your growth. The Word of God has both. And there's different times, have you noticed there's different times that that same verse that gave you a warm fuzzy three months ago, God used to correct you today. <laughs> it's alive. It's, it's active. God's word is so specific to what we're going through. We need both. So where does teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness lead? Verse number 17 tells us, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now that phrase, man of God, it was a very specific phrase that was given to those who had the task of proclaiming the Word of God. In fact, in the New Testament, it's only used of Timothy. In the Old Testament, that same phrase was used of many of those who simply proclaimed the Word. So in its most direct context, it's for Timothy. But remember, this is Paul writing to Timothy. That makes sense. He's saying, Timothy, he goes, man of God, this will equip you for every good work. But at the same time, there's also an extension of this to all of those who preach and teach God's Word. Adequate speaks of complete, capable, and proficient. When pastors study Scripture, and they believe Scripture, and they proclaim Scripture, God equips them for the work. And when that pastor is equipped in the Word, they now have the ability to equip God's people in the Word. But when a pastor is not in the Word, all you're left with is a person's best thoughts on Sunday. In a recent Barna study, I was just sharing this with Alan, my nephew, this last week in a mentoring meeting. In a recent Barna study, it said 70% of pastors do not read Scripture apart from message prep. If you wonder why some things are struggling in the church, if the pastor is not in the Word and spending time with God, like apart from trying to give it to others, unless it's got into you, you got nothing to give. 
key truth. God's word is truth. John 17, 17. Submit everything to the authority of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Stand on truth. Ephesians 6, 14. The Bible is our authority in all matters of faith and practice. There is safety in submission to the word of God. Now, to make sure everybody's on the same page, I, I want to be very clear, and this is, this is the understanding of Scripture that is held right here at Sherwood. That is, the Bible is inspired. It is God-breathed. It is inerrant. That means it is without error. And it is infallible, meaning it is without the possibility of error. We don't hide that. We celebrate it. So with that, there is safety in knowing and submitting to God's word. By God's grace, our desire is to submit every decision, every part of our action, every, every concept, philosophy, submit it to the word of God. Now let's bring that back into this Engage series as we close out. Being on the same page about Scripture is imperative for Sherwood to walk forward in unity. It's essential. Because everything that is taught, that is everything we address about prayer or faith or abiding or mission or, or giving the cost or grace, everything that is taught, everything we do, that is practices and ministry and missions, and for that matter, every attitude we hold of love, of peace, of joy, all of those things are being taught out of what Scripture declares them to be. If we're not teaching what Scripture has to say on that subject, then we are submitting to another authority outside of God's Word. So now let's apply this. Here's application number one. Personalize the key truth for your life personalize it. There's going to be very few times I'm ever going to encourage you to put I in anything that we're talking about here. I, I think most of the time when we put I into something, that's where we really mess it up. But on this one, I want you to personalize it. Here's, here's what I mean. I believe God's word is truth. Therefore, I will submit everything to the authority of scripture. That is everything I read, everything I see, everything I hear, Everything I perceive, everything I feel, everything I believe, I will submit all of that to the authority of Scripture, and I will stand on truth. Stand on truth. Personalize that. Here's the second part. Study the Bible daily. Study it daily. I, I was sharing this morning in our prayer time that one of the things that happens when believers have heard about the Bible for a long time and they've kind of grown up in a Christian context is sometimes when they hear somebody say, like, study the Bible daily, it's like, oh, I already know that. I'm good. So let me, let me try to illustrate it like this. Almost 20 years ago, when myself and Bria were living in North Carolina, we had a good friend of ours, and she happened to work at a dentist office. And she would tell us how when people would come in, the dentist would say over and over, floss your teeth daily, daily, to which the people would argue and they would say, I just struggle with flossing. Do I have to floss my teeth daily? So the dentist got in the habit of saying this, no, you don't have to floss them daily. Just floss the ones you want to keep. <laughs> I actually have a point in this story. 
So when I tell people, study the Bible daily, often people come back and say, it's just hard for me. I, I don't understand what I'm reading. I mean, do I really have to study the Bible daily? No, just study it on the days you want to walk in victory. Just study it on the days that you want to live with fewer regrets. Just study it on the days that you think God's wisdom could be beneficial in your life. Just study it on those days that you're looking for joy or study on the days that you feel overwhelmed and you need help. Study it on those days you're searching for direction. Study it on those days that you need to be reminded of the gospel message. Study it when you need to hear from God. In other words, there's not a day in your life that you don't need to be studying the word of God. Study it. So let me also say, a lot of times when I tell people study the word, they've never heard that there's multiple ways that you read scripture. So let me try to stop here just for a moment and explain this. Sometimes people read the Bible for pleasure. They pick it up almost like a novel, and they just start in one part, and they just keep reading. And they're, they're just reading because they, they want to read the word. Nothing wrong with that. Other times, people study the Bible for direction in their life. They, they need to hear from God, and they're saying, God, what do I do? And they're praying, and they go into the Word to study it specifically to look for direction. Other times, people study the Scripture because they really like to study. It's like they, they like the words, the nuance, the meaning. They like the culture, the context. They, they just get in. They pull out all their commentaries and all their word studies. And, I mean, it looks impressive. There's wonderful stuff happening there. But did you know that there's also another way that you study? That is studying the Bible to know God. Amen. Studying it to say, God, reveal your nature to me through the word. Reveal your heart to me in this text. God, may I see your character in this. Now, here's the thing. Nothing wrong with studying it in all of those other ways. Nothing wrong with reading the Bible in those other ways. But oftentimes when people say, Paul, I've read the Bible my whole life, but it, it's just not new. It's not fresh here. I want to encourage you. Go into the Word and ask this question. God, who are you in the Word? And then begin to write it out. Write everything that he reveals to you from the word. When you begin to do that, it is amazing how God begins to unpack things. The other thing I would say on that is it's better to read five minutes every day than try to pack in two hours on a Saturday. Be in the word daily. Read for depth, not distance. Be in the word. Thank you. I thought that was pretty good too, Bria. <laughs> depth, not distance final point of application ask God to help you rediscover the beauty of God's word I, I love the way that it is captured in the front of a Gideon's Bible some of you might know exactly where I'm going on this others of you you're going to now go into the next hotel room open up that little nightstand pull the Bible out because you're like I never knew that was in there here's what's in the front part of a Gideon's Bible it describes the Bible like this the Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. 
It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven opened, the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good, the design, the glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It's a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. What a description of God's word. So here's my several questions as we close. Are you in the word? Second question, is the word in you? Third question, is the Bible your authority in all matters of faith and practice? Engage the word. Engage the Bible. I've never met anyone who after spending sufficient time in the Word says, I wish I'd have been doing something else. But there's a lot of people who get to a point in their life that they look back and like, what was I doing for my whole life prior to spending time in His Word? If you would bow with me for prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed for just a moment. This morning, the challenge has been to engage the word, to know where the word fits into the life of the believer as a church to make scripture our authority in all matters of faith and practice. That's the challenge that we were going with this morning in scripture. The Bible is sufficient and it is complete. But the truths that are found in the Bible will not change your life if it's left unread. It's not going to change your life if it's left unapplied. Scripture has to be worked in to a person's life. Now, one of the things that I fear many times when talking to believers is making a quick decision in the moment of saying, starting today, I'm going to start reading my Bible. Did you know apart from the grace of God giving you the ability to get up and to be disciplined and to spend time in the Word, give it two to three days and that, that great intention falls away. So here's what I'm going to ask people. If you're in a place right now and you're saying, God, I want to be in the Word, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Ask that God will give you the grace and give you the wisdom to know how to weave it through every part of your life. So as the band begins to play, that's going to be where our invitation is at. For believers in the room, Ask God to give you the grace to weave the word through every part of your life. Our pastors are going to be down front. There might also be some people today that they're saying, I just need prayer in my life. I'm going through a struggle, a difficult time. I need somebody to pray with me. There's people right now that want to pray with you. There might be others today that you're new in the area and you're saying, I'm looking for a church home and you don't know how to get involved, come and talk to one of the pastors. Let them know. They will tell you the next steps to take. There might be others in the room that maybe you've recently placed faith in Jesus, but you've not been baptized yet, and you want to walk forward in obedience and believer's baptism. 
I want to encourage you. Talk to one of the pastors. Let them know. They'll be more than happy to help you on the next step. And here's the last part of that. There might be people in the room today that you don't know that if you were to close your eyes in death tonight, you would open your eyes in the presence of God in heaven. But you want to know. Come talk to one of these pastors. Let them know what's on your heart, and they want to help you take the next step. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, may you move in this place as only you can. God, we will thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and respond as God is prompting you?